This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Steve Hayes from The Dispatch will be with us in a second. Senator Tom Cotton a little bit later than that. Uh, so much disturbing going on that we have to attack and unfolding as we speak. There'll be a series of meetings happening today. The president's going to meet with his national security team. Evidently, he doesn't listen to them. Why is he bother meeting with them? Uh, he'll meet with his cabinet a little bit later. Uh, and then he is going to be doing an event. This is going to be big help. He will sign into law, H.R. 1448, the Puppies Assisting Wounded Servicemen for Veterans Therapy Act. A lot of people are going to need therapy thanks to Joe Biden. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He's building the Taliban back much better. That, that's exactly what he's done. He's not building America back better. You know what the House has been working on all week, what Pelosi's been putting on the floor, is, is these giant in, in, inflation-driving spending bills. Dan Crenshaw, so true. Reconciliation passes the House while we'll be, uh, we'll be on the hook for about $5 trillion if the Senate greenlights it. Uh, this free everything Democratic Party, which raises taxes, uh, pays you not to work, uh, to not pay your rent, or to pay back your student loans, and yes, hate the country. Nice platform. When are people going to get tired of it? Number two. America is going to face Al-Qaeda 3.0. When future American soldiers have to go back in and deal with the incompetence of this administration, they're going to have to fight their way through our own equipment, our own damn equipment, to deal with Al-Qaeda 3.0. It's sickening. Green Beret, Congressman Michael Waltz, uh, fallout for this disastrous pullout. What it means for Biden's plummeting approval, America's reputation, how our allies and enemies view the timid cowardice, the way our leaders are sending us out of the war in Afghanistan, hanging the keys to a terroristic fundamentalist regime. Number one. My understanding is the president just announced a firm withdrawal date of August 31st. I can tell you there's no way we can humanly get are all of our American citizens and Afghan partners out of country by that time. He will have blood on his hands. People are going to die. Uh, that is Congressman Michael McCall, Texas, leaving Americans and allies behind for the first time in modern American history. That was Clueless Joe was doing, defying almost entire party, all patriots, and even perhaps his aides. To me, more impeachable than anything Clinton or Trump ever did. As the Taliban humiliates Biden, he effectively humiliates us. This should not stand. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Uh, you know uh, Steve Hayes. You see him on Fox News. He also co-founded and is now CEO of The Dispatch as well as editor. Steve, could you put in perspective what's unfolding as the Taliban decide not to extend our exit date, which, by the way, we set as August 31st? Yeah, I mean, it, it's as disturbing as anything I've seen a, a commander-in-chief do as long as I've been covering this. I mean, you know, you have now the White House talking openly about our dependence on the Taliban, the goodwill of the Taliban, in order to get Americans out of Afghanistan in what is now Taliban-controlled Kabul and Taliban-controlled country, or largely Taliban-controlled country. We never, ever should have been in this position. It was catastrophically bad planning on the part of the Biden administration. Uh, but I think what's as disturbing as, as anything beyond the sort of immediate crisis of Americans and our Afghan allies being unable potentially to get out, to, to flee to safety, is the, the sort of resoluteness of Joe Biden's uh, insistence on not seeing reality. I mean, the, the number of times he has said things— Great point. Uh, over the past two weeks that are just totally at odds with reality and, and you know, not not something that falls in a gray area where one person might see it one way, one person might see another. You know, just saying things that are flat, provably untrue is deeply, deeply disturbing as we look at the kinds of judgments he's making. So I think what's important for people to find, I just can't believe, you know, there's certain things that we saw with Trump especially. A lot of people say, I can't take this, I'm out. General Mattis, for example, when the president decided to pull troops out in support for the Kurds, and he ended up going back on that a little bit. But I looked at what Congressman Malinowski said, and he said this, after being briefed, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in indicated uh, the August 31st deadline was unrealistic. These are the president's advisors. He said Blinken, Austin, and Milley are being very candid. The practical problem is, and they're not, uh, they're not disputing any of it, is that you can't do this by August 31st. So they brief Congress, and it seems that, and, and it seems as if Congress is going, they're saying, my hands are tied. So you're military men. How can you yeah. not push back on the president? Famously, Petraeus pushed back, uh, and these generals pushed back on Barack Obama. And, they, and, you know, Joe Biden was on him and said, don't let these guys push you around. But they would just explain the reality to him. And to Obama's credit, he woke up to it. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Joe, Joe Biden has been sort of famously arrogant about his own understanding uh, of foreign policy. Um, you saw it in public and congressional hearings. You certainly talk to people uh, in Biden's circle uh, or people who have briefed Biden. You get the sense that he thinks he knows more than anybody in the room. And once he makes a decision, he's unlikely to change it. And I think that's exactly what we're witnessing here. There's also the practical reality. And again, we should never have been in this position that the Taliban do control Kabul. You have reports, credible reports, that the Taliban are outsourcing some of the security in Kabul to the Haqqani network, which is a strongly linked al-Qaeda militia group, in effect. That is that is the, the, the security environment in which our folks are trying to operate, the folks at the Hamid Karzai International Airport are trying to operate, in which our contractors, diplomats, uh, you name it, are trying to, to work through in order to get to safety. So I think what Joe Biden is saying is, you know, in effect, we've made this deal with the Taliban. You don't attack us. You don't impede our efforts to get our people out. And we will be out by August 31st. I mean, it's it's so disturbing that we're at the point where we're depending on the goodwill of the Taliban or we're depending on the Taliban to keep their promises. And we're responding to threats from Taliban leaders that if we don't do what they tell us to do, uh, we will have crossed some kind of a red line. It's just extraordinary that we're in this position, and that's the immediate crisis, I think, that we're looking at over the next week. And, Steve, here's the thing, and I don't care about approval or elections 2022 or 24, but it's impossible not to notice he went from 58 percent approval to 41. There's a belief in the White House that this is temporary. He opened up his presser talking about a reconciliation package that hasn't even been written yet that passed the framework of which passed the House. That's why he probably delayed this whole presser for four or five hours. Evidently, he works the phones on the reconciliation package, not with our allies who were left in the dark for 36 hours to extend this August 31st deadline. Your final thought on this? Well, you have our allies pulling out their hair, being openly critical of the failed leadership of the United States here. Look, the, the, the bigger problem, and we're not focusing on it now because there's an immediate crisis unfolding in Kabul and the rest of Afghanistan. The bigger problem, in my view, is the national security calamity that I think we are likely to face. You look at the Haqqanis running Kabul. You look at al-Qaeda and ISIS prisoners who have been released. You look at eternal jihadists flocking to Afghanistan. You look at the huge caches of U.S., advanced U.S., Military equipment now in the hands of the Taliban. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And associated jihadist groups. You have no military presence outside of Kabul. The coalition intelligence effort that has basically collapsed overnight with the withdrawal of our troops and the shutting down of our embassy. The embassies are always the sort of hub of intelligence activity in any given country. So not only are we almost certain to see a, a, an increase in jihadist activity, and al-Qaeda was never gone from Afghanistan. We're likely to see an increase in jihadist activity in Afghanistan, and I think targeting the West. We are going to be blind to it because we don't have people 
there. We don't have the intelligence resources we once did. It's, it is catastrophic. Read more of it in the dispatch. Steve Hayes, Fox News contributor, editor, and CEO of that, uh, of that newsletter that we see every day. Uh, Steve, thanks so much. I am a subscriber, by the way. Appreciate you, Brian. Thank okay. you. You got it. Uh, when we come back, Senator Lindsey Graham will be joining us. He's been working the phones. He believes this is all an impeachable offense. Senator Tom Cotton, right after that, he thinks he knows who made this decision. This is a big day, big hour. It's not good news, but we're going to cover it and try to push this ball forward. Americans will be left behind along with our allies. Unacceptable. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The conditions have changed uh, for the worst in the last 24 hours. Uh, the Taliban, uh, because of the mistake, I think, that we made of setting this artificial self-imposed deadline, they've now seized upon it and started blocking Afghans at risk from going to the airport. And that is the truth. That's Tom Malinowski, former assistant secretary of state under Barack Obama. He's a Democrat from New Jersey, and that's why it's so significant. I can pick sound bites of outrage from either party, especially if I go to the Senate and look, uh, call on Senator Lindsey Graham. Senator Graham of uh, South Carolina, welcome back. Last night with Sean, you said the president should be impeached for what he's doing. Why? Uh, because he's been derelict in his duties as commander in chief. He withdrew all military forces in Afghanistan without taking out American citizens and those who fought along our side. There's no higher responsibility of a commander-in-chief than protect Americans abroad. Uh, to leave Americans behind enemy lines, I think, would be an impeachable offense to impose arbitrary deadlines that would require thousands of Afghans to uh, be left behind, I think, would be dereliction of duty. Uh, he's put two things in play here the leaving behind of thousands of Afghan allies and the uh, increased likelihood of a 9-11. If, if you could court-martial a military commander for this, what would you do to the commander-in-chief? I think their election duty applies to the commander-in-chief, and impeachment to me would be something seriously to consider and would be warranted. What about a guy that uh, left one Blackhawk into enemy hands, let alone uh, maybe 60 or 70? I mean, look at the billions of dollars worth of elite military hardware from night vision glasses to biometrics on the, our allies that are left behind. If you thought that the Taliban were going to take over and it was inevitable, why wouldn't you make provisions for our stuff? Well, let's try to explain this. How could something this bad happen? The, the cause of the problem is Joe Biden. Sometimes commanders-in-chief get bad advice and they act on it. But not here. He got good advice. He ignored it, and he replaced good advice with bad decision-making. He had a political goal to get us all out to end the endless war in Afghanistan before September the 11th. And his primary goal was to remove all military forces. And when he was told about what about the equipment, what about people who fought along our side, that was a secondary concern until the TV screen took over. So Joe Biden has a history, in my view, of not having the critical thinking skills you need to be 
commander-in-chief. I've said this for a long time. It's nothing personal. The bottom line is he can't absorb the information and make changes as things on the ground change. He gets something in his mind, and it sticks, and there's no changing his mind. That makes him very dangerous. And what I think, Senator, too, is people say, well, he's old and he's senile. No, he's not. This is Joe Biden he's from 10 years ago. Yeah. He's always been this way. Here's what he said yesterday about our allies. Cut seven. We ended the conversation today by a clear statement on all of our parts. We are going to stay united, locked at the hip in terms of what we have to do. So we'll we get locked, that done. Uh, we're going to get it done. Are they locked at our hip or are they outraged by our decision? Well, number one, we're not locked at hip in terms of strategy. The, the British, the French, and I think the Dutch have actually gone outside the airport to retrieve their citizens. So they've had a different strategy all along. And number two, every ally that I talk to, I've been on the phone all week, are just dumbfounded. How could we leave billions of dollars of equipment behind to make the Taliban and al-Qaeda stronger? How could we create a deadline that is a death sentence to those who fought along our side in Afghanistan, making it harder to recruit people in the future? And if we leave one American citizen behind, it would be a foreign policy disaster. So all I can tell you is that Joe Biden had a political goal, and all the facts on the ground, no matter how egregious they were, were ignored because of the politics here, I think. That's what I think. So a couple of things. Uh, Chris Smith uh, and uh, Tom, uh, he's a Republican, and Elisa Slotnick mm -hmm. is a Democrat, and uh, Malinowski is a Democrat, all said when they got briefed, Lloyd Austin, General Milley, and Blinken all indicated that the 31st deadline would be impossible to reach, but they're doing it anyway. They said they were brutally honest and candid. Now, that was the House side. I don't know when you're getting briefed, yeah. but you know these guys. Are, are they yeah, well, on, Do they believe that the president's making the right decision? Well, it doesn't matter whether they believe he's making the right decision or not. It's his job to make that decision. The military has given the president good advice. They recommended a residual force. You know, Donald Trump could be a handful. But I found over the four years that he would adjust if you could convince him. He had a worldview a bit different than mine. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan. But he still had 2,500 troops when he uh, in January the 20th because he saw the problem with the complete withdrawal. So the military has given the president good advice. He turned it down. During the course of this debacle, at every turn when he could adjust it, he went the wrong way. And this has been going on for 40 years. This is the man who said about three days ago there were no al-Qaeda left in Afghanistan, that the Taliban were waving people through the checkpoints, and our allies loved what he was doing. He's just incapable, in my view, of having the critical thinking skills to be a good commander-in-chief. He's been wrong from bin Laden raid to Iraq. This is the same man that pushed Obama to completely withdraw from Iraq after being told – regarding the rise of ISIS. It was in General Mattis' book. He said, just don't do it. I'm going to show you some maps. He said, put it away. I don't, all you guys always want to stay at war all the time. We're yeah. pulling out. And uh, General Mattis said, said, I wouldn't have put it in the book if I thought he was going to run again. There's no way I thought he was going to run for president. And he was hoping I'd forget that excerpt in his book. But, but for people who are listening right now, Senator, and said this was the Trump plan, um, I this was the Trump was conditions based. And do you think Trump's right. ego would have allowed the Taliban to take Kabul on his watch? Well, let's be honest here. OK, I've talked to the president virtually every day and I may see him this weekend. So the president 
understood you can't end the war in Afghanistan unless you have a political settlement. The goal is to get the Taliban to the table and to become part of the new Afghanistan on our terms, not theirs, to have leverage. As long as you have American forces on the ground, the Taliban cannot take the country over militarily. The day you withdraw everybody, they have an advantage. That's just a fact. It's been that way for, for at least a decade. So President Trump got down to 2,500 troops, and he stopped because the Taliban were breaching the terms of the agreement. Should we have done the agreement just with the Taliban, not with the Afghan government included? No. So there's some criticism I think is deserved here. But Biden is the guy who did this, not Trump. Trump had a conditions-based withdrawal. Biden pulled all the troops out right. against sound military advice, and he had a deadline imposed by himself. This led to leaving billions of dollars of equipment behind and thousands of people. There's nobody to blame but Biden here. Senator, real quick, 20 seconds, hard break. Do you believe we're going to get or leave Americans behind after the 31st? Uh, most likely. Thousands of Afghans, most likely American citizens. And what we're leaving behind is an al-Qaeda that's going to be on steroids and a uh, Afghanistan in the hands of the most radical people on the planet. You can deter the Taliban because they actually want to live. You can't deter al-Qaeda and ISIS because they love to die. They just want you to die with them. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. When we come back, Senator Tom Cotton, Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. But it sounds like you're still working on an August 31st deadline. We're absolutely still aiming towards the end of the month. And are the public statements by the Taliban the same as the private statements being made to U.S. officials about the deadline and when U.S. should leave? What I can tell you is that uh, the, uh, the Taliban have, uh, have, uh, have been very clear about what their expectations are as well. Pathetic. Rear Admiral John Kirby pretending to be a spokesperson and that the policies of President Biden make sense. Uh, the deadline is going to be set, and it was set before the press conference yesterday because they were starting to already pull out some of the 5,800 troops that were emergently put into the Kabul airport but not allowed to leave the perimeter because it was too dangerous. Senator Tom Cotton, former infantryman, intelligence officer, Ivy League, or armed services and judiciary committees, former U.S. actually uh, uh, for, for served with the U.S. Army. Uh, also, he is now the senator from Arkansas. Senator, you heard that explanation. Do you think Kirby believes this? Brian, it's hard to believe John Kirby believes what he's saying. Uh, but then again, he's been spinning and peddling, um, you know, falsehoods and incorrect information and, you know, rosy scenarios now for a couple of weeks about this withdrawal. You're right, Brian, that they're already starting to withdraw some of the troops we have on the ground to secure the airport and to help process people once we get them inside the airport. Um, but as you pointed out, Tuesday is not the real deadline for evacuating civilians from Afghanistan. We're approaching that deadline rapidly because it'll take some time to get 5,800 American troops and their weapons and equipment outside of Kabul. I mean, I understand that people like Jake Sullivan, who have never spent a day in a life outside 
of a conference room, whether it's called the seminar room in uh, college campuses or the situation room in the White House, may think that, you know, you have a deadline on Tuesday, you can just pull an all-nighter on Monday and get it done. That's not the way things work in the real world. It's certainly not the way things work uh, in the military when you're under threat of Taliban or ISIS or al-Qaeda attack. So if you're on the ground in Afghanistan today, as thousands of Americans there still are, as thousands of Afghans who supported American troops at the risk of their lives are, your deadline is really probably tomorrow, maybe Friday if you're lucky. Uh, I want you to hear what Jen Psaki said, cut 22. This is now on track to be the largest airlift in U.S. history. Uh, so, and that is uh, bringing American citizens out. It is bringing our Afghan partners out. It is bringing allies out. Uh, so, no, I would not say that is anything but a success. Anything but a success because they have a lot of planes going in and out. A lot of those planes aren't even full. And if you look at what's surrounding the airport, it looks like Hades. It is, Brian, and my office uh, has been in touch with hundreds, by this point maybe thousands, of people who are in and around the airport. Uh, and you're right, it's just a, um, an appalling, almost unimaginable scene uh, of Americans, other foreign nationals, and Afghans who support our troops trying to get to the airport. And in many cases, they have a right to be in the airport and a right to be evacuated. They're American citizens, for goodness sake, or they've already been approved and fully vetted as someone who served alongside us. Yet Taliban goon squads are beating people with sticks and pipes and chains or stealing their visa paperwork, even stealing their passport, telling them to go home, telling Afghans are no longer allowed to leave uh, like it's the old Soviet Union and the Iron Curtain is descending all around the Kabul airport while our troops just have to stand by and watch it all because President Biden has put them in with incredibly restrictive rules of engagement that they can't even step a few feet away from their gate to protect their fellow citizens. Senator, it just gets more humiliating every day. I mean, last week I thought this was terrible. And then today, it's and yesterday in the afternoon, it's worse. And for him to open up his remarks by talking about some ridiculous uh, part, Democratic Party owns reconciliation package, which is pure socialism, whether it's, uh, you know, community college free, free preschool, free elder care, expansion of Medicare, all this stuff that we can't afford. He opens up with that. There's a report that he was waiting for Nancy Pelosi to finish up that deal for him to announce the results of a war. Yeah, Brian, uh, he just seems shell-shocked over the last two weeks by events. I mean, he's coming out and threatening Republican governors uh, who don't want parents' right to decide how their kids are going to be educated with lawsuits. Yesterday, as you said, he's coming out to trumpet a budget that passed that's going to uh, tax and spend to the wasteful tune of three and a half trillion dollars while American citizens are stuck behind Taliban lines in Afghanistan. That should be the only thing that the American president is focused on is getting those citizens out. Contrary to his spokeswoman, they are in fact stranded. If the Taliban controls the airport access and they control all the border uh, access points, then those Americans are de facto hostages. They may not be held under lock and key, but they are subject to the whims of the Taliban, which means Joe Biden and his team are basically letting the Taliban call the shots. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, Tony Blinken went out a couple of days ago and said, well, we have to acknowledge the Taliban are in control of Kabul. Well, that may be the case right now, but they only control Kabul until Joe Biden says a very simple statement. Now we control Kabul. And anyone who interferes with our operations or who hurts an American citizen will be killed on sight. Senator... He says he's looking out for troops because he wanted to prevent, uh, prevent another Saigon. He got worse. When you remember those, the images that we see every day 
uh, around the airport, the images that we, re- we remember from last week of people falling out of the landing gear while the plane was ascending. So he got worse. Then he wants to prevent a Black Hawk down because he says he doesn't want to be, or a Beirut because he wants to be the victim of a truck bomb, a suicide bomb, or, or if we send Black Hawks into the field to get Americans, we could have a situation where they're pinned down by a cadre of Taliban fighters or Al-Qaeda fighters. Do you, do you look at him as somebody with a big heart or an empty head? I'd say on this one, he has an empty head, Brian. I mean, um, I, I've heard their lines about um, um, the Black Hawk Down scenario if they send patrols out, but somehow Great Britain is able to send patrols out to get its people. France is able to send patrols out to get its people. Even the Netherlands is sending its military out to police up Dutch citizens and get them back to the airport. I mean, if the Dutch military can go out and collect Dutch citizens and bring them to safety, surely, Brian, the American military can. It's that they're not being allowed to do so by their own commander-in-chief. I want you to hear what John Radcliffe said when he found out the CIA director, former uh, um, DNI, uh, former director of national intelligence, when he found out that Director Burns went out to meet with the Taliban official, who, by the way, the CIA arrested 11 years ago, who was let out of jail in Pakistan. Listen to this, cut nine. You know, CIA Director Burns going over to meet with the Taliban. I talked with intelligence officials today that are so demoralized that a CIA director, you know, would go over to kiss the ring of the Taliban two weeks out from the 20th anniversary of the most somber, uh, you know, anniversary in recent history when 3,000 Americans died, and the Taliban helped facilitate that. And they, we're sending the CIA director over there asking for their help. I mean, it's, it's just uh, outrageous, demoralizing, frustrating. And how about this? He didn't get anything for it. Yeah, Brian, that's what's particularly galling about President Biden dispatching Director Burns. You know, when the news first broke, I hope that it was foreshadowing the fact that we would be announcing the extension of our deadline beyond Fog 31st. In fact, the elimination of the deadline that we were simply telling the Taliban, we're going to stay at this airport, we're going to go on patrol, we're going to collect all Americans, and then we'll leave. But until then, if any Taliban interferes with our operations, they'll be shot on sight. I hope that that was what Director Burns was saying. I hope that's why Joe Biden dispatched him. Presidents throughout time, of course, have dispatched CIA directors to speak with some fairly unsavory characters, but they've had something to show in return. Uh, apparently now he came back empty-handed, uh, because, I'm sure, because Joe Biden put the tightest uh, reins on him that didn't allow him to uh, negotiate with an um, eye towards a hard-nosed uh, ultimatum to the Taliban. So, so we know that Senator Biden, when he was Senator Biden, he believed all this. So when people want to factor out to the fact that he's old and he's out, he lost his fastball, that's nothing to do with this. Because he felt this way. He didn't want Petraeus to do the surge in, uh, during the first term of Obama administration, when Obama ran on that being the good war. And, of course, taking the troops, that was his idea, to take the troops uh, and Anthony Blinken out of Iraq. We know how that was. We got ISIS and we had to go reinvade. We know, too, that he was against the surge and the surge worked. So this is his terrible instincts. So don't say, well, he's 78 years old. What do you want? That's what you elected. We elected somebody who's just a, a knucklehead and he's running our country, but he's got to be listening to somebody. Now, I don't know. I know you don't have the same sources with this administration that you had with the last one. But what do you think's happening if Millie and Austin are not in support of this? Who is? 
Well, Brian, you're right that uh, this is what Joe Biden has always believed. Uh, and remember what Bob Gates famously wrote about Joe Biden, that he's been wrong on every major, on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue for the last 40 years. You can make it 50 years now. I believe you can add to that advanced age and stubbornness and bitterness that his advice was rejected for so long. Thank goodness his advice was rejected all those times when he was not in charge, because look what happens when he is in charge. Um, I, I can only conclude at this point, Brian, that he's disregarding the advice um, of the professionals in the Department of Defense and probably some of his national security staff as well, and listening primarily to political advisors. I mean, the way they're acting is as if he made some gap on a campaign in the campaign trail last year, and they just have to grit it out for a couple of days of bad headlines, and then the headlines will be off the page, and they can go back to their reckless spending bill. That just may work when you commit a gap on uh, the campaign trail. It doesn't work in the real world when you have thousands of Americans stranded behind enemy lines. Um, but that's why I assume he's probably talking to his political advisors, um, and they're telling him just to, to grit it out. You know, pretty soon we're going to be out of Afghanistan. It'll be off the front pages. All the blue media will sing your uh, plaudits for passing this massive bill, and everything will be forgotten. Uh, of course, what's happened over what happened over the last two weeks will not be forgotten. Uh, in 50 years, people will be asking if we're going to have a Kabul moment the way people today ask if we're going to have a Saigon moment. So, uh, Senator, you believe it might be Susan Rice behind the scenes? I mean, with her terrible instincts and track record? Well, Susan Rice uh, was the typhoid Mary of the Obama-era foreign policy. She was involved in almost every single fiasco, whether it was Benghazi or the Syria red line or the Iran nuclear deal um, or spying on Donald Trump's campaign at the end of the administration. She is now technically called the Domestic Policy uh, Council Advisor on the administration, but it wouldn't surprise me if she's uh, added her terrible judgment on these matters in freelancing fashion to Joe Biden's terrible judgment as well. Do you, do you look for anybody to resign? I mean, if you're chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Millie, this is your baseball card. This is the back of your baseball card. That's what you did. And unless you're going to leak out to the press that you're not for it, you know, there's indications are he feels that way. I'm not a big fan of his, just judging by his track record. I know you know him. And I've never seen somebody more out of their depth than Secretary of Defense Austin, who made that statement, yeah, outside Kabul, we have no way of getting Americans. How many Americans do you think are still in country? How many cases are you dealing with in Arkansas? So we have some in Arkansas. We got one Arkansan back in the very early days of last week. Uh, but we're not limiting ourselves to Arkansans. You know, Brian, normally I would do so, uh, but this is not a case where we're trying to help someone get a passport or get a VA check uh, written. I mean, this is life and death. So we're helping Americans across the country uh, to the best of our ability. Um, I, I believe there's still thousands of Americans in Afghanistan. I mean, the administration uh, either doesn't know, which is the height of incompetence, or they won't tell us. Uh, which, again, is, is just a cover-up of their own ineptitude. Um, clearly, many of those uh, must be outside of Kabul. Um, I have no doubt some of them probably left, you know, a month ago and didn't tell the government. I understand that. Um, but, again, like, we may not con today control anything outside of Kabul, but it would be very easy for us to tell the Taliban that we're back in charge of Jalalabad or we're back in charge of Kandahar, and we have the military capabilities to do that for a short duration evacuation mission to get our troops out. And that's exactly what this president should have done from the very beginning of this crisis. Told the Taliban, we'll put the troops in necessary to get all of our citizens out, to get those Afghans out who fought and risked their lives alongside us, and then we'll leave. But until then, if you threaten us, if you interfere with our operations, we'll kill you on sight.
lastly, you want to be in the majority probably as much as anybody in the country and stop the terrible policies of this administration. Now you're going to be looking at a $3.5 trillion spending package that adds more like $5 trillion. And to do that, you're going to have to win some tough Senate races, one of which is beat Raphael Warnock in Georgia. Is Herschel Walker the right guy he declared yesterday? Uh, news to me, Brian. I had not heard that. I knew he was considering the race, but I know we've got a lot of other strong candidates down there as well, including some veterans. So uh, I'm sure I'll be uh, working hard in the Georgia Senate race uh, over the next year once that race develops somewhat. Um, but uh, I don't know who our nominee is going to be, but obviously Georgia is one of our uh, top three or four pickup opportunities. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton, uh, former U.S. Army infantry officer, uh, it's a it's not a good time to be in the military because you have a terrible president who's in control of our destiny that is not living up to his troops. Uh, Senator, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Good to be on with you. All right. 1-866-408-7669. I'll squeeze in some calls. We had three of the best guests you possibly could have to provide insight and analysis on the number one issue in the world, and that is our pullout of Afghanistan. Your call's next. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think the decision to get out is the right decision. Uh, And I completely agree with President Biden that we could be there 5, 10, 15 more years uh, at the risk of the lives of our troops and not have a different result at the end of the day and still see the Afghan government collapse. Um, But but to me, and this is the first impression at this point, this looks like a planning failure, uh, a military planning failure. Uh, as to how we draw down our forces, how we evacuate our personnel. Well, that was Adam Schiff, and that was part of the cadre of Democrats who cannot believe the president has done this. He had cover. He had cover to stick around. If something even went bad, you could say, listen, I got 100 people in the House, 200 House members outside Nancy Pelosi uh, that were totally supportive of us staying longer. And that is uh, just an example for Adam Schiff to say, you know, it was terrible. The way we left is awful. We didn't plan for anything. We had no way of taking our stuff back. We had no idea about troop strength and what it was like not to give air cover to an Afghan army that lost 2,600 from August 5th to August 15th. So keep in mind, a lot of you are writing me about this and some of which are saying some really good points. One is uh, from John. John says there's no need to tell the Taliban now about staying past the 31st. It will just prompt them to act now against remaining people. Better to wait to the 31st and be prepared to stay as long as necessary. Uh, Meanwhile, there's a lot of people stranded in Kabul, and that's what Michael Walt has been doing. He got married, by the way, on Sunday, but really couldn't go away because of what's going on in the world right now. We thought he'd skid right into uh, Labor Day, I imagine. Cut 29. We have congressional offices that are acting like operations centers, making phone calls to airport managers, helping people get through Taliban checkpoints. uh, And we're having to work around uh, the bureaucracy and the incompetence of this White House, State Department, and and, uh, and Pentagon in some cases. So the, the, the frustration is through the roof.
And by the way, another email. Robert Warden writes me, how dare they say there's no way of knowing this would happen so quickly? I guarantee our military expected it. How dare they underestimate the same group who brilliantly planned the operation of flying two jumbo jets full of U.S. citizens into the Twin Towers? Full jumbo jets on its way to crash into the White House? Full jumbo jets crashing into the Pentagon? All within minutes of each other? How dare they underestimate individuals who had 20 years to grow in numbers and intelligence? We're a peaceful nation. They're an organization who will never stop until in each and every one of us is destroyed. I realize that. We used to know that. This president doesn't get that. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, man, am I receptive. Receptive to some sober decision-making in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, there is none. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Josh Rogan, The Washington Post, coming up at the bottom of the hour on that report I'll talk to him about a lot of things, but on that report done by the administration to find out what exactly caused the worst pandemic in 100 years, turns out it's inconclusive. Why? Because they didn't talk to anybody that would know. It was a total whitewash. And Josh Rogan knows he wrote a definitive book on it, and he has more clues and more contacts on this story than anyone in the country, I would argue. And Britt Hume is standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He's building the Taliban back much better. That, that's exactly what he's done. He's not building America back better. You know what the House has been working on all week, what Pelosi's been putting on the floor, is, is these giant in, in, inflation-driving spending bills. Dan Crenshaw, you're 100% right. Reconciliation passes the House and will be on the hook for three-point. Make, make that $5 trillion if the Senate greenlights this package. Everything the Democrats want, they get. They're raising taxes. You don't have to work. They'll pay you extra not to. Don't pay back your student loan, and you don't have to pay back your rent. And by the way, they don't like the country. How soon to this party crashes and burns? Number two. America is going to face Al-Qaeda 3.0. When future American soldiers have to go back in and deal with the incompetence of this administration, they're going to have to fight their way through our own equipment. Our own damn equipment to deal with al-Qaeda 3.0. Michael Waltz knows. Green Beret, now congressman from Florida. Fallout for the disastrous pullout. What it means for the Biden's plummeting approval rating. America's reputation and now how our allies and enemies view us. We look like we look timid. We look cowardice. Our leaders have led this way and our, our soldiers have fought with great valor. But they've been, again, misled by terrible leadership. We're going to talk about handing the keys to Afghanistan to a terroristic fundamentalist regime. Number one. My understanding is the president just announced a firm withdrawal date of August 31st. I can tell you there's no way we can humanly get our all of our American citizens and Afghan partners out of country by that time. He will have blood on his hands. People are going to die. Congressman Michael McCall, 
leaving Americans and allies behind for the first time in modern history. And that was Clueless Joe, and that's exactly what he's doing, defying almost the entire party, all patriots, and even perhaps his aides. To me, the most impeachable thing is surpasses what Clinton and Trump ever did as the Taliban humiliates President Biden, effectively humiliates us, and this should not stand. Hey, Britt, I, I cannot believe we won a full day yesterday, Britt Hume, and we find out that the deadline not extended. The CIA meets with the Taliban, doesn't get anything, and our men and women are beginning to pull out, presumably leaving Americans behind. Can you believe the so series of events? The, what is so striking to me about this, Brian, is that the decision to pull out in a sort of the sudden and reckless way that we did was was a terrible mistake. Um, and the administration, in trying to recover them from that mistake, has only compounded it with all sorts of false claims from the podiums at the White House and elsewhere about how well it was all going, um, with with the president having made a pledge then to not only get all of our people out, our American people out, but to get our Afghan allies out as well, um, a pledge that he now seems completely fine with absolutely abandoning. Um, so the so the the continued disaster over there will continue, and I don't think that the administration can look for any political relief from the from the circumstance they've created anytime soon. Here's what Joe Biden how he rationalized this decision. By the way, he had a lot of support on his party to extend the deadline. Who have many of which have admitted he botched this whole pullout. Cut five. I'm also mindful of the increasing risks that I've been I've been. Uh, briefed on, and the need to factor those, re- those risks in. They're real and significant challenges that we also have to take into consideration. The longer we stay, starting with the acute and growing risk of an attack by a terrorist group known as ISIS-K, an ISIS affiliate in Afghanistan, which is the sworn enemy of the Taliban. So he's admitting that there's there's terrorists all over this place. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, he admit, finally admitted it after saying they had been gone. And the Taliban, a hostile regime with, who's affiliated with the Akani Network, direct relations with al-Qaeda. Why exactly are we leaving? Why is it in our best interest to get out? And do we supposed to be living our uh, military lives worried about the next attack? We're the superpower, aren't we? Well, you wouldn't know it from the way we've been behaving and uh, the way this administration has been handling things in recent times. And you know, Brian, what's, what's also clear about this is this is one of the truly presidential issues. This is a very big deal. You know, when you talk about the economy and you talk about, and you talk about the pandemic, there are all sorts of actors in the drama uh, that can have an effect on that. State and local governments can, private entities can, private hospitals can on, on matters of health and so on. Um, um, you know, private drug makers and so on. But when it comes to foreign policy and defense, this is inescapably the premier, the preeminent job of the federal government and of the president of the United States. And a failure on this scale in this re- in this area dwarfs these things that we've been arguing about, dwarfs January 6th, for example, as a big issue in the United States. This is a genuinely big issue, and the stain of this, I think, will be enduring for as far as the eye can see. Do you remember this feeling, Britt, around Vietnam in 73, we pull out, we have a new president, Ford's there, and we got to scramble to get what's left of our allies and embassy workers out of the roof buildings? Uh, out of the roof of our embassy. Remember, Joe Biden says it's not going to be a Saigon moment. By all accounts, it's worse. 
Do you do you make do you remember that feeling? Is it like this feeling? Yeah, it is very much like this feeling. It's a sense of national dishonor and disgrace, and it should have taught us the lesson that if you decide you're going to end involvement in a country where you've been militarily engaged for a long period of time, it is a very delicate and dangerous and explosive situation and must be gone about with the most extreme care. It is not easy to do something like this with honor. It's very easy to do it with dishonor. And now we have we have done this in a way that absolutely maximizes the dishonor that will attach to the United States of America and to this president going forward. And so, you know, with you especially working in the White House, you see the decision, then you say to yourself, who made it? What went into it? Who was he listening to? And that way, if you were still at the White House, that would be your beat. So just looking, trying to read in between the lines and get the reports, I'm shocked by what— well, what were the accounts we're getting from the briefing the House got yesterday? Congressman Malinowski, former Assistant Secretary of State for President Obama, now Congressman from New Jersey, said, Secretary of State Blinken, Defense Secretary Austin, General Milley, Chairman, Joint Chiefs of Staff, indicated the August 31st deadline was unrealistic. These are the advisors to the president. He said that Blinken, Austin, and Milley are being very candid. The practical problem is, and they're not disputing any of this, is that you can't do this by August 35th. They're not sugarcoating any of this. So if I'm in Congress, these are the people doing the work. They're saying, I'll explain it to you, but I won't try to convince you because I'm not convinced. If they're not convinced, Brett, who convinced them to do this? It's not, I don't, well, who, what happened, I think, is this is all Biden. Biden is convinced that this, he's been against this uh, Afghan adventure for a long time and has wanted out. He's, the thing we have to face up about Biden is that he is not now, nor has he ever been terribly smart. Um, he's had a lot of experience, but his experience, as we know, may, it may make you seasoned, but it can't make you smart and it can't make you wise. And the unwisdom of his foreign policy judgments dating back many, many years has been clear to anybody with eyes to see. So now we have a situation clearly on his watch, clearly on his on his on his decision. It's a disaster, and he cannot seem to to reverse himself, to back off, to pause, to do anything because he's determined that we're not going to have any further American casualties. We've heard him say it over and over again: how many more Americans are going to die to save that place? Of course, never mind the fact that in the last year and a half there haven't been any Americans killed over there. But nevertheless, he presses on with this, and I think he's terribly afraid that if we send in the requisite forces to do this in a more effective way, that there might be a firefight in the streets of Kabul in which American forces would 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 suffer casualties. I think that's what he's worried about. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's trying to avoid, and that's all he really cares about. But after the 31st, if we get reports in the middle of September, Labor Day, that there's a family, American family, stuck in Kandahar, or there's one that's been arrested or beheaded in Kabul, God forbid, it's, I mean, this guy's got 41% approval now. One of these stories, he's going to lose his whole party. Well, I think he's lost, it's significant that, that there's a sort of a minor mutiny going on within his party now, particularly among those with some experience in the military, who you know, like like one of those who went to uh, to Kabul what yesterday, and reported what 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 they saw over there. Nancy Pelosi's not pleased about that, but uh, no, this is not this getting this uh, getting us out by the 31st doesn't look like it's going to happen. Now, of course, it could be at the last second the president will reverse himself and the military will be allowed to do or able to do what it. But it's awfully hard, Brian, for me to see 
how we can succeed in getting Americans out, and, and not to mention those who stood with us, who we've also promised to get out, without venturing militarily into the streets of Kabul to clear the way. So let's just that is obviously right. the mission that the president is very afraid of. He's also obviously terrified of a terrorist attack, and, and there seems to be some intelligence that makes him fear that particularly acutely at this moment. You know, it's almost as if we reverse roles. You know, we have action, military action or aggressive action against would-be uh, challenges, whether it's Saddam Hussein or whether it's uh, Mullah Omar in Afghanistan. We're trying to get our allies to join us. This time it's our allies trying to get us to stick around. They didn't want us to pare down under Trump. They told we found out they found out secondhand that we're leaving from Afghanistan. It took them 36 hours to call a single ally after uh, Kabul fell. So, I mean, look at this is the most experienced foreign policy guy we've ever had, according to, you know, according to numbers and, and, and years in office. Yeah, that's the, that's the sad thing about this. And this all traces back to, to the Democratic Party and its desperation and, and to, to get back into the White House and its utter loathing of Donald Trump. And the belief that no, that someone, anyone, would be better than Trump. And here we are. You know, people, you keep hearing people say on the right, people saying, there's no way Joe Biden got 81 million votes. I agree with that. There isn't. He didn't get those votes for, for the Democratic nominee. Trump got them. And it was to drive Trump from office that, that, that brought us to this point. Now, look, make no mistake about it, Brian. Uh, the deal that Mike Pompeo and Trump cut with the Taliban was not a good deal and not an honorable deal. And and it is ast- astonishing, in a way, to many on the uh, on the left even, that Biden decided he was going to go through with the deal. But he did, and here we are. 100% right. And look, the president wanted to desperately get out of there. And he was able to be talked to, listen, we can't get out right away. It's going to take a little bit of time. We're going to get to 2,500 troops. The one thing about the president, I didn't agree with his pull out of Syria and leaving the Kurds on their own devices, but he ended up leaving some in there. And, you know, we didn't pull out of Iraq entirely. And he certainly never took his foot off the gas when it came to Iran, ever. And there was a sense that we can't predict this guy. And it was working to our advantage. And the one thing was pretty clear, uh, and if I'm, I'm reading... Uh, I think it's Adam Hochul. Uh, Adam, uh, I interviewed him today. He worked with Ambassador Kalazad, who cut this disastrous deal. And he told uh, Morador, who is now the higher up and probably the highest ranking guy in the new Taliban government. He said, if you go against any part of this deal, Morador, I should say, um, we, will, we know exactly where you live. And they said that any time there was a breach, they were able to strike him at night. They had permission to do that. So people looked at the Taliban was a little worried about him, but I do think it was a mistake to engage the Taliban to begin with, and I thought so at the time. I think you're right, Brian. It was a mistake. Uh, I want you to hear how Joe Biden opened up his press conference yesterday that we waited an extra four hours to get. Cut 45. Look, I want to thank Speaker Pelosi, who was masterful in her leadership on this. And Leader Hoyer and Whip Clyburn and Chairman DeFazio, the entire House leadership team, for the hard work, dedication, and determination 
to bring people together so we can make a difference in people's lives. And then you get the report we got today that he was working the phones all weekend to pass this reconciliation bill not to get support for his pullout of Afghanistan. If you open a substantial presser like this, the ending of a war and a deadline that wouldn't be extended, and you open it up with a reconciliation package, what does that tell you, Britt? Well, it tells you he'd like to change the subject is what it tells you. And that, you know, he wants to get back to focusing on things where he has some political strength. I mean, he's, you know, he's he's been losing altitude on on Afghanistan for going on two weeks now. So, you know, he wants to change the subject. The trouble with it is, is, is that when you change the subject for something as momentous as what's happening over there, with its implications far out into the future, as dire as they are, and you start talking about some, you know, domestic policy agenda that, uh, that has it certainly has its place and is certainly important in its own way. Um, it makes you appear like you're focusing on the lesser thing instead of the major thing. Brad you, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You bet, Brian. Uh, which was under better circumstances. When we come back, your turn, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Then we go inside the soon-to-be-published report of the origins of the pandemic and how it was a half-assed effort. Josh Rogan will shed some light on that, as well as the fallout on the left on the pullout of Afghanistan. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There's been uh, no change to the timeline of the mission, which is to have this completed by the end of the month. Um, We continue to make progress every day in getting uh, Americans, as well as uh, SIV uh, applicants and vulnerable Afghans, out. So we are remain committed to getting... uh, any and all Americans that want to leave to get them out. Uh, that is Adam Kirby. The problem is you can't get them all out by the 31st, and everybody knows it. Uh, let's go to the phones, and uh, Admiral knows it. He, my goodness, uh, the planning that he's seen. In fact, let's not. I actually think that Marco Rubio had a better idea, and he says it's very simple. This is why I think he'd still be a good president, especially or a secretary of state. Cut, cut 10. This is going to be covered as one of the worst catastrophes in American foreign policy history for two reasons. Number one is everything you just said right now, the failure of this administration to anticipate what they should have known, what what the red lights were flashing the whole time, that the Taliban was moving faster than they were talking about. And the whole time they were oblivious to it, it seemed. And then the botching of this evacuation of this entire uh, process. This is the way the process should have worked. Okay. The way, what Joe Biden should have said is, we have these people and we have this equipment and we're going to get it out of Afghanistan and we'll leave once we have all that stuff. And anyone who gets in the way, including the Taliban who tries to stop us, is going to be killed. You will die if you get in our way. Not August 31st, not September 1st, not August 29th, not a date, a goal. Do you understand that that is the only way to talk to the Taliban? Everybody that I've talked to that have interactions at any level, whether they're fighting them, shooting them, or talking to them, the only thing they understand is brute force. And now we're trying to urge them to act like become a member of the family of nations, as if they care about that. 
They're going to sell our Blackhawks? There's a Blackhawk garage sale. That's how they make money. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no uh, intelligence that points to this being naturally occurring. There's no intermediary host. Um, You know, all of our signals intelligence, all of our human intelligence, none of it points to um, that this was some naturally occurring, you know, virus. And so, you know, unfortunately, many of us in the intelligence community that were there at the time really felt like, The Wuhan Institute of Virology was more than just a probability. It was always close to a certainty. And I still feel that way, having seen all of the intelligence. And if, you know, uh, I would hope that the Biden administration would move to declassify some of the intelligence that I think uh, would establish that point. And then why put together a report that you say that the Biden administration sponsored, not interview key people if you wanted to find out the origin of the virus? That's part of the reason that we love talking to Josh Rogan, who uh, looked at the, the the lab leak theory right away and wrote about it in Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the battle for the 21st century. Josh, welcome back. Are you surprised an inconclusive uh, conclusion from the Biden study? Hey, Brian, thanks for having me back. Actually, I'm not surprised at all because it seemed clear from me from the get go that the Biden administration was trying to do the bare minimum to say that they had investigated uh, both uh, possible scenarios for the origin of the coronavirus without actually doing everything they could to actually make that investigation have a high likelihood of success. And what I mean by that is that First of all, they gave it to the intelligence community, uh, which missed it the first time, which refused to investigate the lab leak for 18 months, which didn't even check its own files. They had all these files in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, didn't even look at them for 18 months. Then they gave them a 90-day deadline. Uh, And, of course, they came back and they're like, oh, well, you know, uh, we couldn't figure it out in the 90 days. Uh, But my question is, first of all, why didn't they look at their own files for the first 18 months? Second of all, why race towards a deadline? It doesn't really matter Four million people died. There's no statute of limitations on four million deaths. It takes as long as it takes. And third of all, it's pretty clear that they don't have the expertise to figure this out. It's not really an intel problem. You know, have you ever heard of that uh, uh, story about the drunk who searches for his keys under the streetlight? Right. And the, the policeman asked him, hey, why'd you look at did you lose your keys under the streetlight? He's like, no, but the light's better over here. That's what the Biden administration did. They looked for the answer in the one place they knew they weren't going to find it. Of course, they didn't find it. And if they were going to be sincere in their effort, who are some of the people they could talk to that they'd have access to? Well, I would start with the Robert Redfield, the former head of the CDC, who saw all the intelligence, who, uh, you know, is a trained virologist who said on national television that he thought the lab was uh, the source of the outbreak due to the way the virus looks and acts and works and his expertise. And uh, then he disappeared. He went into the Federal Witness Protection Program. You haven't seen him. You haven't heard from him. No hearings to hear his testimony. He wasn't even interviewed, by the way. I happen to know for a fact that uh, the Intel Review didn't – they never called Robert Redfield. They didn't call Matt Ponger. They didn't call any of the people who had the files on this in the last administration. Why not? You know, it's not an investigation. They were just uh, looking at their own stuff and not even understanding what they had. And, uh, you know, then I would sort of – go to the next level, which is sort of, okay, how do we 
get at the Wuhan Institute of Virology files without the cooperation of the Chinese government, because what you see in all the authorized leaks uh, last night, and that's what you saw, this is like, oh, we won't give you the report, but we'll tell you we didn't find anything, and then four days later, when everyone has got that sort of in their head, then we'll release the report. This is like a standard sort of Obama-Biden kind of tactic, right, to try to leak the frame and then not give you any of the information. But anyway, you know, what they're going to say next is, oh, well, without Chinese government cooperation, I guess we'll never figure it out. Well, I say no. You know, we have to use our power and influence as a superpower uh, trying to represent the world and four million people who have died to pressure the Chinese government to open up the labs and to open up the files. And then we also have to look at our own labs, the NIH and the NIAID. We've talked about this a bunch of times, Brian, but it yep. bears repeating. It does. We have a bunch of information in our own files about these Wuhan labs. It wasn't part of the review. Why not? How can you call that a serious review? You can't. Plus, uh, we have this thing called variants that are plaguing us, pun intended. Uh, we see the Delta variant. We don't know what's out and what next is coming down the pike that uh, seem to be, to a degree, uh, breakthrough. Our vaccines give us mild symptoms, but they still break through. Maybe if we understood the true origins, it would help us with the variants. Not being a virologist, I'll, you know, I could stand corrected on that. But if no, you know right. how it started, maybe we could stop it. Right. If we the if this is not just about the origins. This is about the Chinese Communist Party's broad cover up of the first what happened at the beginning of this pandemic, which may now we know may have dated back to September or October of 2019, not even December. And if you just think about that, oh, well, they're hiding the data. They all they jailed the journalists. They censored all the science. And all of that scientific information could potentially be relevant to dealing with the crisis that we're in now. In other words, the Chinese Communist Party cover up is exacerbating the suffering of billions of people and causing death right now. And that's not even to talk of the next pandemic, because if we don't figure out how this one started, we don't know how to prevent the next one. And it's not a coincidence that all the scientists and public health officials like Francis Collins at the NIH and Anthony Fauci at the NIAID and Peter Daszak, the head of the Equal Health Alliance, are constantly telling us not to look at the labs uh, because what they want is to double, quadruple, sextuple the amount of money that we spend on doing risky virus research in labs all over the world, including in China. And all I say is, isn't that a crazy thing to do before we even investigate, before we even, not that we know that the labs did it, but that shouldn't we check it out? And why are you telling us not to check it out? And why are all these scientists, you know, discouraging, asking the question for the most, what seems to be a very plausible scenario that the back coronavirus pandemic uh, might be related to the bat coronavirus lab that had the bad safety standards uh, right next door. What changed at the WHO? Why do they sound like you now? I mean, they're distrustful of the Chinese. They're distrustful of the Chinese. They, they, they were critical of their own investigation. They want to get back in there. I'm thinking to myself, what changed? Yeah, well, you just said it yourself. They want to get back in there. So they realized that the first WHO study report which was the only American on the study team was Peter Daszak, the most conflicted person in this story because he's the closest to the Wuhan labs and has been telling us for a year and a half not to look at the labs. Why is he doing that, by the way? And the WHO trusted these people and they got took and now they realized it. And now they want another bite at the apple. They want another crack at it. I see, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. Also, Beijing told the WHO to go pound sand and they're not going to allow them to do the second part of the investigation. But yeah, if you're Dr. Tedros, you've got to change your tune a little bit to acknowledge the, the fact that the lab leak theory is not a conspiracy theory. And, 
you know, that's just a, 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 an attempt to, for him to save the credibility of his own organization and his own credibility. I don't think it's going to work, to be honest with you. And uh, you see a lot of this sort of repositioning of people who are like, oh, you're a racist conspiracy theorist if you mention the Wuhan lab that's next to the outbreak. And now they're saying, oh, well, you know, they've repositioned, they've retrenched to, well, I don't know. Sure, it's possible, but probably not. And, you know, we, we shouldn't waste our all our time looking at it because we're going to anger the Chinese government or some such nonsense. That's where they've retrenched in light of the obvious realization that it can't be a conspiracy theory because Joe Biden doesn't think it's a conspiracy theory. And he's definitely not in on the conspiracy. And even inside the intelligence community, with what low confidence they do have, some of them prefer the theory that, you know, the bat coronavirus lab was linked to the bat coronavirus outbreak, which, again, sort of makes all the sense of the world and also reflects the growing pile of circumstantial evidence that keeps coming in. While not one more piece of evidence has come in to support the market or whatever, you know what I mean? We haven't found any pangolins, right, <laughs> since we last talked, unless I missed an email. Ah. No, no raccoon dogs or palm civets or minks that were the source of the coronavirus were, were discovered in those weeks, right? Yet we still get more and more information about the lab hid the data, the lab had, was lying about what it was doing. And, you know, I just, I, I don't think this is going away. I think the Biden team wants it to go away, but it's not going to go away because right. 650,000 Americans died and we're going to need to figure that out one way or the other. And I would, the and Chinese I would, government likes it or not. Josh Rogan, by the way, is our guest. He's author of Chaos Under Heaven. Josh, I think they should have called you if they were serious on an investigation. If nothing else, on background, hey, Josh, I read your book. Could some of your sources are, uh, have me curious? I think you could help us get to a result. Can you help me here? Or uh, what do you think about some of the conclusions I'm getting? I would, you, I'm sure you would help out a government study, wouldn't you? Listen, I talk to Biden administration officials about this all the time, but you it's do. not them calling me to be like, Josh, can you help us? It's me calling them to be like, hey, you, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing <laughs> this? How can you do this? And, and what I get back from them is like, what are you talking about? It's so difficult. What are you talking about? We're never going to figure it out. What are you talking about? That Beijing is going to get angry. And, uh, you know, I'm a opinion columnist, so I don't, you know, I can just tell you what I think. What I think is that those are all cop-outs. They're all measly-mouthed excuses for not doing the only thing that makes sense, which is uh, in our vital national security and public health interest, which is doing everything we can to uncover the truth, whichever way it breaks. It doesn't matter. It's not political. It doesn't even matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or if you like right. Trump or if you don't like Trump or even if you're pro-China or anti-CCP. The source of the pandemic is the most important question. It's not a scientific question. It's a forensic question. We need a real investigation, and we still haven't had it. We're 18 months into this mess, no end in right. sight, and there's no plan for it. The WHO is not going to do it. The United States government is the only organization in the world, Brian, that's powerful enough to stand up the Chinese Communist Party if only they would decide to do so. Uh, I want you to hear now, Josh, with all the great work you uh, did and, and Jamie Metzl has come out and spoken, the person who moved this story forward and embarrassed the administration the most, well, what happened on Stephen Colbert's show? There's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but, I, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. 
So that anarchy on Colbert's show, which made him so uncomfortable, and his mentor, John Stewart, decides to hop back on and promote something, what did that do for the dialogue in this country? Well, I think, you know, for people who weren't involved in the politics of 2020, uh, they didn't get caught up in this false narrative that was pushed by these conflicted scientists, like including you. Anthony Fauci, uh, who said to everyone in America, dare, you dare not talk about the lab leak theory, that's racist, that's a conspiracy theory. If you weren't there for that, then, and you come to this issue in 2021, millions of people actually, people I talk to all the time say, oh yeah, no, it makes perfect sense that but we should check out the labs. Why wouldn't you check out the labs? It's kind of crazy not to check out the labs. But in that time and space last year, uh, uh, the American public and the media, mainstream media, frankly, was sold a bill of goods by these scientists. And uh, that had a huge, horrible negative effect uh, because it made a lot of uh, people sort of uh, uh, put their reasonable Occam's razor suspicions away for fear of being called names or canceled or worse. And now we're trying to untangle all of that. And it's almost impossible. So, you know, if you think about like the Biden administration, they weren't there either. They they probably don't care which theory is true. They just have no incentive for figuring it out because if the lab leak theory does turn out to be true, uh, that throws all their progressive left right. uh, members under the bus for calling it racist all these months, which was never true, right? It's a, it, But that's the situation they're in. So that's why they're doing the bare minimum. The intelligence community, if the lab leak theory turns out to be true, this is really important, that means they missed it. That means they failed. That's a bigger scandal in intelligence than 9-11 and WMD. Put together, that's why they can't. They're not. They don't have an incentive to figure out how they missed the biggest pandemic. And the, by the way, if the lab leak theory is true, the reason they missed it is because they don't. They weren't looking at this network of dangerous labs because we're pointing eighty billion dollars worth of right. intel stuff at the jihadis and not the Chinese scientists who are building the viruses that they're making into weapons pointed at us. So maybe that's something else we should think about moving forward. Hey, Josh, one more, one last question. I want to get you on uh, what's happening in Afghanistan. Do you believe that China is right now getting slammed by another wave? We, they, they want us to believe they only had 4,000 deaths. What is their situation? You know, all of the Chinese uh, reporting, the numbers reporting on the COVID cases has been false. They've been lying the whole time. There's no reason to think they stopped lying now. And my sources tell me that actually the uh, the Delta variant is spreading rapidly, which makes all the sense in the world because their uh, vaccines are crap, right? But that, that all that tells me is that, okay, well, if they're lying about that, then how are we going to send our athletes, the world's athletes, thousands of athletes, into Beijing, into a situation we can't possibly know, uh, dangerous situation, COVID situation that the Chinese will never be honest about because they're not honest about any of this. And the example is the Wuhan military games. In October 2019, 9,000 athletes went there to Wuhan. Dozens mm. came back with COVID-like symptoms, and the Chinese denied the whole thing. So uh, add that to the reasons that we should probably move those Olympics or delay those Olympics, including the genocide, including the fact that China's committing a genocide and we're going to go there and pretend everything's hunky-dory. Also, we're subjecting all of our athletes and all of our uh, teams, all of the country's teams, uh, to a risk we can't possibly calculate because the Chinese Communist Party uh, are liars. Josh, I've never seen a bigger catastrophe in foreign policy than I'm witnessing now in Afghanistan. Yeah, uh, and, the, and the decision not to extend that deadline. And look at some of your tweets. Only 50 of the 1,200 students at American University of Afghanistan got out. The rest, half of them women are in hiding. The Taliban have killed these students before. Now we're leaving them there. It's disgraceful. Why are we leaving on the 31st? Why are we not showing some muscle? Why doesn't our exit matter to President Biden? Yeah, it's really uh, sinister for people to sort of point at the bungled handling of the straw and accuse critics of that handling of being like 
Warhawks or wanting to extend the Forever Wars or some other such nonsense. I get why people want to get it out of Afghanistan, but that's not really the debate right now. It's why are we doing it, as you said, on this particular date, which has no significance at all. And that's a political decision, okay? The Biden administration is making a bet that, you know, it's more important that they get out by an arbitrary date that they set for no reason at all uh, than saving the lives of thousands of Americans and thousands of Afghans who risk their lives based on our promise of safety that we're now breaking. And that's a cold, cold political calculation, because if you think about it, what they're betting on is that Americans won't care. And I'm hearing not just from D.C. establishment, you know, blob people, but from lots and lots and lots of people that they're horrified that the United States would uh, do this would for seemingly. Yeah. I mean, I get that there's a terrorism threat and all of that, but we're the United States of America. We should go get our Thank people you. and bring them home. Full stop. Josh Rogan, pick up his book, Chaos Under Heaven, uh, Trump, Xi and the Battle for the 21st Century. Thanks, Josh. Always great. Back in a moment. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. And the other thing that's really important is that the speaker said uh, not only is she going to help get that infrastructure bill passed by the end of September, but, of course, uh, well, whatever we bring to the floor on reconciliation will have support of at least 51 senators. Uh, so, so making sure that we vote on something that in the House and the Senate we can all get behind. This is unbelievable. Congressman Joshka Godheimer, who is one of the nine moderates who said, I will not pass the $3.5 trillion in the House until you pass the bipartisan bill of $1.2 trillion in the House that passed through the Senate. Next thing you know, a series of negotiations, and he passes it through the House and acts like it's a, a win. So now it goes, it's going to go to the Senate. It's not even written yet. It's framed out. But he's like, I got assurances from Cinnamon Manchin that they're going to tear it down and make it more reasonable, palatable, plausible. But it basically is cradled to grave social spending. It's free daycare. It's free community college. It's free elder care. It's expansion of Medicare. You have, um, you have um, a free preschool. I mean, what's going on here? Where, since when are we affording this? Oh, we'll raise corporate taxes. Exactly the thing that makes us more competitive internationally. That's going to be the problem. He got a quick announcement. Go to BrianKillMeet.com, get details. But the the President and Freedom Fighter Tour, which is basically winning the war on terror, I have some dates. November 11th in Charleston, West Virginia. On the 11th in Orlando, Florida as well. Uh, excuse me, on the 7th in Charleston, on the 21st in Orlando. Point of Vedra, I'll be there in Florida on December 3rd. The next day we pick up states, go to Clearwater, Florida. BrianKillMeet.com for tickets. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Martha McCallum, who provides great insight into this Afghanistan debacle and Karl Rove, the political ramifications and more. He was at the helm playing a key role with President Bush when this war started. The 9-11 attack happened. Uh, 20 years later, we're watching the worst dismount in American history. It makes Vietnam look like a well-run operation. It looks 1975. Looks like just a bad couple of hours compared to what we're witnessing now. And now the president just is oblivious to how bad things are. That's why he wants to talk about a reconciliation package. That's why he doesn't want to have a press conference. That's why he wants to talk about a booster shot. We're not buying it, and the polls reveal it. You're not either. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He's building the Taliban back much better. That, that's exactly what he's done. He's not building America back better. You know what the House has been working on all week, what Pelosi's been putting on the floor, is, is these giant in, in, inflation-driving spending bills. Reconciliation passes the House and will be on the hook for about $5 trillion if the Senate greenlights this. This free everything Democratic Party, which raises taxes, pays you not to work or not to pay your rent and not to pay back your student loan. And yes, hate the country. When will the American people get fed up? Number two. America is going to face Al-Qaeda 3.0. When future American soldiers have to go back in and deal with the incompetence of this administration, they're going to have to fight their way through our own equipment our own damn equipment, to deal with Al-Qaeda 3.0. Congressman Michael Waltz is beside himself. He's been there every step of the way and actually fought in Afghanistan as a Green Beret. Fallout for the disastrous pullout. What it means for Biden's plummeting approval rating, America's reputation, and how our allies and enemies view the timid, cowardice way our leaders are sending us out of this war, handing the keys to a terroristic fundamental, fundamentalist regime. Number one. My understanding is the president just announced a firm withdrawal date of August 31st. I can tell you there's no way we can humanly get our all of our American citizens and Afghan partners out of country by that time. He will have blood on his hands. People are going to die. And I'm watching this Pentagon press conference. Your head's really going to explode. Leaving Americans and allies behind for the first time in modern American history. That was clueless Joe is doing. Defying almost his entire party, all patriots, and even perhaps his aides. To me, this is more impeachable than anything Clinton or Trump ever did. As the Taliban humiliates President Biden, effectively humiliates us. And this should not stand. Call Rove, can you put in perspective how foolhardy President Biden's decisions have been over the last two weeks? Well, I'm not certain there are decisions because decisions implies that you go through a process of examining, planning, discussing, um, finding agreements among your staff and your cabinet members and uh, areas of disagreement and examining what must be done. I think this is an impulse. Uh, When he came out on April 14th and said we're going to be out by 9-11, that that was so – obnoxious from a public relations perspective that even the people around him said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. But I don't detect in in what we are seeing unroll uh, the kind of presidential leadership in decision-making that, that, that goes into good decisions. I mean, think about this. Think about all these things. Where was the State Department in ramping up the special visa program for Afghan allies when the president says, let's get the heck out of out of there by August 31st or September 11th before that, where, where is the, where's the evidence that the State Department started saying, let's make certain that we're able to get all of our allies out? Where, where was the planning? 
um, to, to forestall any attempt by the Taliban to regain uh, the, the country? Did we take the country while we were withdrawing? If you, wanted, if you want to stop that, you keep Bagram Air Force Base open because, you know, look, our last combat death was 18 months ago. And the thing that kept the Taliban from rushing to control the country was the thought that, the, you know, American aircraft would rain hell down from above. So one of the first things they do is close Bagram. This should have been one of the last places that the Americans withdrew from. So Representative Malinowski, former Assistant Secretary of State and now Congressman from New Jersey, says uh, in a briefing that he got and others got, the Secretary of State Blinken, Defense Secretary uh, Austin, uh, Mark Milley, all indicated that the August 31st deadline was unrealistic. He said Blinken, Austin, and Milley are being very candid, actually. He says they're not disputing any of the fact that they were, they were disputing the 31st deadline. They don't believe we can get it out. And they're briefing Congress, Carl, and they're saying what Weeks are saying on the outside. So if the, the, his own aides don't believe his own timeline can work, what is going on here? This is the definition of dysfunctional. Yeah, well, that's that's my that's my point. I mean, if if you have the leadership of your cabinet saying, "Mr. President, we disagree that this can be done in the time frame that you're talking about," as the president, you ought to pay attention to it and and either have a robust discussion of whether or not that's the case and make a decision. But there's no evidence that we've had that kind of robust discussion. These these people are talking to members of Congress and to the press, but they don't say, you know, well, you know, we 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 told the president this, and we had you know rather robust about it in you know May or February or March, and and we came, the president came to a different decision. That's from listening to the that these people are commenting about the decision to withdraw by August 31st, the process of withdrawal, the special visa program for Afghan allies, the you know the attempt to get Americans out of the you don't get a sense that there was any kind of robust planning process at all involving all the requisite agencies. Look, I spent seven years. I know how important this this innocuous phrase, interagency planning or interagency coordination. I came to understand how absolutely vital it is to make such a big enterprise as the United States government operate efficiently. And these people don't appear to have engaged in that. The president seems completely unglued. You'd think that, that if, if the president had had that kind of robust process, that he'd be able to answer fundamental questions like how many Americans are there to be withdrawn? How many, you know, how many SIV uh, special visa whole, uh, uh, applicants had been processed and interviewed and so forth? He doesn't know any of that stuff. He, he does not even know that we're being criticized in European capitals by our close allies who have combat troops in Afghanistan alongside us who were not, who were not discussed who did not have discussions with the U.S. government and were not part privy to a decision to withdraw. That's why we've had the, the criticism from the French, the Germans, and others. And to his face. And you know we haven't gotten the play out and read out from the G7 meeting, but they were blasting him before the meeting. And they were saying we need more time. And they're going outside the wire. We're staying inside the airport. We have the most troops and the most firepower. We're not using it. He's scared to death for another Saigon moment. We got worse. He's worried about another Black Hawk down, so we don't even try. Our reputation is not going to be a news cycle away. Now, I hate to minimize this and talk about the polls, but I'm stunned. USA Today poll, his approval rating's at 41%. It was 58 a, a month ago. And this is on this, and 25% approve of the way we're leaving Afghanistan. Inside that White House, Susan Rice and company, 
I believe that they think, don't worry about it. This is a news cycle. The number one story will soon be the reconciliation package. Am I wrong? Well, first of all, you're absolutely right about the decline. But remember, it's not tied just to this. Just it, it is largely this. But I think we are also seeing in there. Remember, July seventh, July fourth, we were going to have the gigantic, you know, seventy percent vaccination rate. Again, they didn't mobilize to achieve that goal. Think about uh, what we've seen on the southern border. As that as that has gotten worse. As summer has come on, not not the pressure on the border is not lessened like the administration told us it was. So there are a whole series of things in which the inability to function properly, to have the government act in concert to achieve a certain goal and to be shooting straight with the American people. We've seen that on a number of fronts. This is just simply the latest and biggest and most horrific of what we've seen. But there's a dysfunctionality inside this administration, and it starts with the president. The president sets a tone. The president has to ask tough questions. The president has to say, let's get everybody together and get them on the same page. Let's, I want to know what kind of disagreements you've got. I want to know what kind of agreements you want. I want a plan of action in the case of Afghanistan that includes outreach to allies so that they're part of this process. We see no evidence of that. And we don't see that kind of that we, we see a similar lack of evidence that there is comprehensive planning on the rest of this. I, I defy you, Brian. Who is the White House czar on COVID? Who is the guy in charge appointed in March? Who is in charge of uh, of making certain we hit the seventy percent mark? I, you can't tell me. I have no idea because it, yeah, because the administration has sort of like. They're concerned with you know retweeting positive things, drawing attention to positive stories. But it strikes me the way is showing that they are not up to this job. And more importantly, the president of the United States is either we're coming to a break, breaking moment. He either decides, look, I got to do better, which means I got to have people surrounding me who do better, and and some heads roll and changes are made and habits are altered, or the American people are going to conclude at some point, you know what, nice guy but not up to the job. I don't Just even like know he's a nice guy. I mean, he has come off so cold in these pressers, leading with reconciliation news when life and death's at stake. And you hear these perilous sort of stories of women stuck in Kabul or outside Kabul who happen to be Americans. Carl, the rubber's about to hit the road because we are going to leave on the 31st and there's going to be Americans in country. At which time he says, I told the military to come up with contingency plans. Really? They're leaving already. We went from 5,800 to 5,400. By the time the last person goes out, there'll be not an American to keep security for that last flight out. Good luck with that. You try to be on the last flight out of there. So if we decide, wait a second, we got some people in Masari Sharif that are stuck and hiding. We leave them behind? Well, you, you, you know, that, that's my case. My, they, they didn't think about this. They didn't plan this. Remember, he announces this on April 14th, which means that he was spending some time in March and April coming to this conclusion. And you would think that they would have, before he announced it, they would have worked through a comprehensive plan, you know, subjected it to a lot of tabletop exercises, yeah. figured out where the weaknesses and strengths were, and, and doing so in concert with our allies. After all, you know, he went with, you know, great, you know, sort of you know, hurrahs to, to, to a meeting with our allies in Europe and said, America is back. Well, now, listen to what they're saying. They, they feel disrespected and ignored, and their people are at risk as well. Their people are, are in country. They, have been, they stood with us on this mission. They believe that we should have remained. They were not consulted uh, in advance and agreed to uh, the American withdrawal, and hence their withdrawal. 
This is just this is an utter unmitigated disaster. Now, there's only one bit of big news, big uh, good news out of this. And I was talking, you know, by email with a friend of mine, foreign policy expert, and he reminded me. I was, I was, I'm so down. I can't tell you uh, how how angry I am about this. And 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 I said, this is gonna this is gonna follow us for decades. And Fourteen years after the fall of Saigon, Soviet Union fell, and America became the unipower in the world. And so this is going to hurt. This is going to have real ramifications. People are lives are going to be altered, and people are going to die as a result of these mistakes. Having said that, we need to understand that America is still a great power with enormous resiliency, and under the right leadership, as we had in 1980 with the election of Ronald Reagan. America returned onto the stage in a powerful way that, that helped bring about the end of Soviet communism and a dramatic change in freedom around the world for, for peoples who were, who were desperate to, to live in freedom, not in, in slavery. If he decided to extend that date, he would have the America behind him. He would have had both parties behind him. He thought he could bring yes. the country together. He had a chance. All right, they fell too quick. I got to get my people out. I will not leave an American behind. Where's that big heart? Forget it. I, I never thought he was like that. I always knew he had personal tragedy. I feel terrible about that. But I've never seen a heart, uh, a, a guy with this big heart uh, who cares about people. And I see a guy with terrible foreign policy instincts, and we're all paying the price. Carl Rove, thanks so much. You bet, Brian. When we come back, uh, 1-866-408-7669. We also bring you some of the news that's emerging uh, from the Pentagon presser right now. Martha McCallum is coming in soon, too. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Not every checkpoint is uh, is manned uh, in the same way and by the same individuals as every other one. And so there's variances at some of these checkpoints in terms of how the word has gotten down and how much the Taliban manning the checkpoint uh, are, are following the dictates of their commanders. So that's why it's a constant communication on the ground with them to keep that flow going as much as possible. But, yes, there are stops and starts. There are hurdles that have to be overcome almost on any, any given day. Yeah, that, those are hurdles to be overcome on every given day. You know, sometimes uh, people's paperwork isn't right. That's the Taliban. So I know he's spinning and I know he's a press guy. He's a rear admiral. He should not be in that spot, by the way. You don't have a rear admiral as a spokesperson. But Martha McCallum's here. Martha's show is going to start at 3 today. Martha, but you've been on all day, in particular, they shut it off. You're an Afghan. You're not getting out. And if you're an American, uh, you, the odds are stacked against you. We're out by the 31st. You know, I, I keep going back to the central phrase that they keep saying over and over again that's woven into all of these comments, and it's, quote, as many as we can. As many as we can, right? And that means as many as we can by August 31st. And as John Kirby just said quite clearly, even though there's all of this sort of soft language around like, well, we'll see if there are things we can do after that to continue to help people get out. They've made it very clear. After the 31st, they, uh, according to everything they're telling us now, they're going to close their eyes and turn their backs and walk away from anybody who has left there. Afghan refugees are the lowest on the list right now. And many of these people, including one, you know, everyone has talked to so many families and 
has people on the ground that they are trying to sort of help other people get out through these really heroic efforts that are, you know, three generations distant from most of us. But they're basically being told, don't go to the airport, right? So the Taliban tells them the gates are are shut and they tell America, you can't, please tell everyone, no Afghans are leaving. We want them to stay where they are. And we're saying, we're okay with that? We're okay with that? What I mean, it, it is mind-blowing, Brian. I don't understand. You know, everybody watched that Jocko Wilnick, um, former Navy SEAL, video that he made the other day where he just talks about what he believes the president should be saying right now, which is, all right, we are going to take the next 48 hours. We're reopening, you know, say three of the airports on the ground. We're going to be taking our people out and everyone who we think deserves to get out, including people who maybe their dad was a mayor or an official in the town, because that's basically an alliance with the Afghan national government. So they're they're all marked people, right? And their families. And we're going to get them out. And if you touch us, if you touch one of these individuals that we're trying to get out, we are going to use all of the force of the United States military to stop you. End not, of story. But not only is that the way the Americans should approach this, that's the only thing the Taliban understand. The only thing consistently to anyone who deals with the Taliban is not, we told them if you want to be part of the family of nations, you have to act a certain way. We think this version of the Taliban will understand that they're going to need some things from other countries, and if they want to not be a pariah, that they'll come around. Final thought on that? They're, I don't see any difference in Taliban's. You know, I, I don't even like saying this because it seems so ridiculous on its face. But the fact that last week they said, oh, well, women can still do their jobs as long as they're covered, as long as they agree to the Islamic rule of being covered. N- now they're already, oh, no, you can't be in the, in now the broadcast stay booth. Home. You, can't, you stay home temporarily. Stay home temporarily. I mean, wait. <laughs> What world are we living in that, that anybody thought that this was going to be a different Taliban? I'm really not sure why we even began talking to them in the first place. Big I think mistake. the mistake goes all the way back to that uh, in the last administration. Um, but, but you know, it it is it is just so sickening. I talked to a 9-11 family member last night who said this is such a slap in the face to all of us. And to them especially, but to all of us. When we come back, more from Martha. We'll find out about what's on her show. We'll give you the latest on this Pentagon briefing. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. My understanding is the president just announced a firm withdrawal date of August 31st. I can tell you there's no way we can humanly get our all of our American citizens and Afghan partners out of country by that time. I've called this consistently an unmitigated disaster of epic proportions. It will be a stain on this presidency, and particularly after the decision made today, and what we heard today, he will have blood on his hands. People are going to die, and they're going to be left behind. The biggest credo in the military is no man left behind, no one left behind. Um, and that's precisely what we were doing. And that is little Mike McCall, uh, for a, uh, former head of armed services in the House. Now he's ranking member. He's just on television, too, with Michael Waltz and their offices are working overtime, Martha McCallum, to help these individuals get out that have helped us out, let alone Americans that are calling saying we're not getting a response from the State Department. Maybe that's because 
we mysteriously abandoned the embassy, the one that Secretary of Defense said that he didn't go to Bagram because he thought it would be better to defend the embassy. He couldn't do both. So we left the embassy and Bagram and end up in an open field airport hoping the Taliban will supply, supply security, and they have, around the perimeter. What a mess. It's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to wrap your head around how this could have been done any worse, really. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are certain underlying circumstances that sort of create this situation no matter how you go at it. And I do think that this was going to be somewhat chaotic no matter how we went about it. But the fact is that you want to have the military be the last people there. You want to get all of your people out first. Now, sending that signal was very damaging to the Afghan national government, who we had already basically abandoned by that point. Um, And we found ourselves in a situation where we turned into this incredible scramble. I don't know what happened to the State Department side of this and the embassy side of this, because we've all been watching these stories over the past eight months of these people who, are, you know, had special immigrant visas and couldn't get the paperwork done, couldn't get people out. So, yes, now it's impressive that they've got 88,000 people out in the last few days. But imagine how this could have happened if we had had these, you know, an active State Department process that was getting these people out in a sort of quiet way over the course of the last several months. It would have been a very different situation. I mean, these people, I'm looking at these images. They are just in absolute squalor inside that airport if they're inside and if they're outside, they are in danger of losing their lives every minute of the day. And by the way, Doha, where they're being dropped off, I hear that is also hell on earth because they're living in the same squalor you can imagine. They don't have anything to eat. They're all di- It's 120 degrees in the middle of the desert uh, in the summer. So uh, we'll see. Now, uh, this is a report today uh, when they were when Millie Blinken and Austin were were briefing the House members. They basically said that they can't get this timeline done. And this is a Democratic congressman, Malinowski, who said, yeah, they were telling us we don't think we can go by by this timeline. So resign. I mean, where, where are you making the stand? Do you remember the, the stories about how the military would push back on Barack Obama and they thought, wow, they're trying to push around this young president? No, I think they, they, they inserted themselves. They say this is impossible. I'll give you three options. All three are possible. The middle one's the one I'd go with. And he'd go with that. And they'd say they're winning the argument. No, but I think that maybe President Obama was actually listening to some of these arguments, say, I can't get this done. doesn't look like Joe Biden's listening to anybody. Maybe Susan Rice. But I don't know, know if they're necessarily too close. This guy thinks he knows. I think it's been pretty clear since the beginning of this story that this has been a President Biden, you know, sort of bullheaded decision. Uh, and he believes he's in the right. He believes this is the right thing to do. He's also clearly calculated that the American people are going to forget about this in a few weeks. No question. And we also, you know, you can always judge people by their actions, right? So what is he focused on when he walked out there yesterday? And I thought it was fascinating how they keep letting the spokespeople come out in waves. And it's almost as if it's like, they're just trying to sort of like wear down all the questioning and when they can get it to a point where it's kind of manageable, then he comes out. He came out four hours late yesterday, right? You know, Almost five o'clock. Do you believe it's because he was waiting spoke for the reconciliation for, package? for 15 minutes. I, I mean, it's so jarring to watch the president come out when everyone has been waiting for him for hours and listening to all of these Pentagon briefings and then have him start with, with that, this with this victory lap over this package that is so enormous and going to saddle the country with so much debt. We, you know, you have to be where the American people are. And it's pretty clear when you look at these approval ratings numbers as the president has right now. 41%. Everyone feels very wounded and hurt over this situation. And they're very lost in terms of what they think 
the leadership is capable of doing from the White House right now. So the best thing for him to do from a communications perspective is to be commanding in this, to answer as many questions as get fielded to him, to stick up for his decision and to say, here's why I overruled them. Here's why I think I'm right. Um, Go ahead and do it. Make your argument to the American people instead of giving this like 15 minute thing, turning your back, not answering a single question, you know, reading off the teleprompter with eyes that go from left to right as you're and, and we're all feeling you can't help but feel when you watch that, that he's reading some of this for the first time. Absolutely. And the thing is, move the freaking prompter in. If you are having trouble reading it, move it up. I mean, you're squinting there. I know you've had a million, uh, a lot of facial work done and everything squeezed, but you look like you're lost within your head. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, a deep thinker last night on what he's witnessed and put in perspective why this won't be one news cycle. Cut 18. Everybody you talk to, they say, if we wanted to screw this up and endanger Americans, what else would we have done? They can't even imagine. Well, I guess we would have surrendered to the enemy and then we would have been humiliated. Then we would have let the enemy (laughs) that never defeated us determine how we flee. And then we would give them 70 billion dollars. But that wouldn't be enough. They want They want to set the deadline themselves. Then we would take the military out and let the civil. They can't come up in their wildest dreams with anything more humiliating or shameful or dangerous. So they're bewildered. All of us are bewildered. We're like, it's a bad dream. We haven't woken up. We hope it's a dream, but it's reality. And he's a military historian. He's never seen anything like it. Martha, we were talking before, just in my opinion, if you were trying to destroy the country, this is how you would do it. First, hurt America's pride and prestige around the world, Afghanistan, the way we did it. Then, when it comes to national security, open up the southern border in the middle of a pandemic and allow these border states to be overrun from Texas to Arizona to New Mexico. That's exactly what's happening. Then, with a country with a huge deficit, run up the spending unnecessarily with $3.5 trillion and then $1.2 trillion and then a $1.9 that passed. Continue to do that. Tell people they don't have to pay their rent. Tell people they don't have to pay their student loans. And go ahead. You are now get elder care. You get free preschool. You get free community college. uh, You get free daycare. This is not feasible. Something falls apart. And when it comes to crime, let's not prosecute anything under $1,000 in the biggest cities in the biggest states in the country. And when it comes to uh, homelessness, let's welcome it. The Governor Newsom actually welcomed the homeless to New York State. So our cities are overrun with crime and homelessness, and the prosecutors are pulling back. The cops are defamed. If you're trying to destroy our country, you could not do a better job. And then— teach kids that they are part of a country that is not worthy, that is intrinsically evil, and that tries to oppress people on purpose. Teach them that the country is not about ensuring freedom here and doing what we can to spread that beacon of freedom around the world, something to be proud of in a place like Afghanistan. The thing that we have to remember in Afghanistan is is that oh, it, it was it's it's a very complicated situation. There were mistakes that were made. There is no doubt about it. But there's an entire generation over 20 years of young women who grew up thinking that they could have a normal life, that they could have a job, that they could not go around with their face completely covered, that they weren't going to get whipped if they went out into the street with their head uncovered. So you have a generation that we somehow managed to be part of preserving and growing. You have a few skyscrapers in Kabul where there were none before. You have an economy that was starting to show 
here and there some signs that maybe there could be some sort of future there. So just by putting in that sort of protective presence and wedge, we were able to have a presence there that was making a difference for all of the difficulties that were encountered. But, you know, during the Trump administration, people who were in opposition to the president became convinced and convinced others that there's no such thing as American goodness in the world, that America first is an ugly thing, and that whenever you think you can have an impact in other places in the world, you're some sort of bully, that this shouldn't be what happens. So this is the notion that's being ingrained in the entire nation and starting with kids in school that is so destructive. And I would just put one other thing on your list of how you would ruin a country. Lock it down in the middle of a pandemic. Undermine the economy dramatically. Take away a year plus of schooling from the children of the nation. Uh, give people a ding to their confidence and their and, and add to their fear in every way possible. Obviously, we have a serious medical situation in the country, but there was another way to deal with it. And I was just reading Dr. Ba- Dr. Jay Bhattacharya on this. You know, he said you, you cannot look around the, the country or the world and, and prove that lockdown worked. When you look at how many cases there were, you cannot prove that it that it was that the risk was not greater than the benefit. The risk was greater than the benefit of locking down. So that I would add to your list of what you would do to destroy a country. That's a great move, too. The one thing I would say, and it's been enlightened to me, that you see New Zealand had four cases. He told everyone not to go out. Mm-hmm. Told you you can't go out and see by your family. You saw Australia, the brutal crackdown there. Yes. Uh, it looks so like th- China. Like yeah. Dragging people in the street. I saw in Tucker's show the other night. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I saw both those things. And then China, I just had Josh Rogan on for the Washington Post who wrote the book on China. He said, you know, China says they only have 4,000 he believes China's getting hit very hard right now with the Delta variant. Yes, that's, I, I believe that's true, too, because I have heard from people who do um, like import-export business that the docks have been shut down for months in China because there is rampant COVID everywhere. That's an anecdotal story, but I've heard it from a couple of different And they're sources. getting a total pass in the ridiculous uh, 90-day study on the origins of the virus inconclusive, where we had Josh on to say, Josh, who are some of the people that yeah. they would have interviewed had they been serious about it? None were spoken to. Yeah, I talked to David Asher about that. He said, this is not an investigation. You can't call what they're doing an investigation. It's sort of like a survey. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> when we come back, uh, Martha will exclusively tell us what's on her show. Uh, we're watching Kevin McCarthy at a press conference now. The Pentagon wrapped up theirs. Nancy Pelosi had one this morning to take a bow about a project. And a package we do not need. And uh, she is proud to have passed as the moderates collapsed and folded like cheap suit. And uh, we're also waiting this afternoon. There's another event which I want to, I'm sure you don't have on your show. Did you see this? Um, the President of the United States will sign into law, uh, sign into law H.R. 1448. Off the top of your head, do you know what that is? No, sir. Okay. You should really study when you come in here. I'm glad <laughs> you're here. What's H.R. 1448? Lay it on me. Uh, Puppies assisting wounded servicemen. Uh, pause. The program's going to be officially into it. So instead okay. of tackling it, let's get puppies for the servicemen who have been humiliated by your ridicu- ridiculous policies. Back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. And no, it is not a good day. Maybe in your caucus you think it's a great day for you and the Democrats. It is an embarrassing day to America. It's an embarrassing day for this floor. And it's embarrassing that you would even move forward with it. And that's the moderates uh, caving, which allowed the left wing to get their green agenda, their cradle to grave 
social spending agenda or cross on reconciliation, at least on the House, before they mess with it in the Senate. Martha McCallum's with me right now. Kevin McCarthy's beside himself because they're using this opportunity to have a pre- have a big fundraiser on Sunday. Chuck Schumer's dancing on Saturday. Meanwhile, we have co- Afghanistan collapsing thanks to the Democratic president uh, for the last week. Uh, Martha, before you uh, comment on this, I, you promised me an exclusive on your show. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan Crenshaw, and we are also going to talk to um, Douglas London, who oversaw operations and intel in Afghanistan as the CIA's chief for counterterrorism in, uh, from 2016 to 2018. He retired in 2019. Um, I think he's going to have some pretty interesting insights for us this afternoon, and we'll be covering all of the live events as they unfold. Now your reaction to the 3.5. It's not even written yet. I guess they voted to frame it. Yeah, I mean, they obviously are trying to change, uh, turn the page and change the message. Uh, Giving out a lot of free stuff is a great way to get certain parts of the population to vote for you. I I firmly believe that they think that this is going to disappear um, in a couple of weeks, that people will stop caring about this. But here's the here's the deal. When you read about what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan right now and the more they the more people that they lose from Afghanistan and the more the Taliban becomes in charge, the more chaotic it's going to become. They have no food resources. They have no medical resources uh, that are running in a functional way. World Health Organizations uh, say they're having trouble getting any food in there. Inflation, COVID rates are through the roof in the country. This so when you move the chess pieces around, they remain moved and you leave spaces open and people and countries and, you know, bad actors move into those spaces. So you can't just say, OK, we walked away. It's over. You have to deal with the dynamic that is left behind because you're part you're the, the leading superpower of the world. So, you know, this does not end on August 31st, I assure you. And if the administration thinks that and, and uh, you know, Democrats want to move forward with um, this agenda, which is going to burden us with a tremendous amount of debt for generations to come, um, so be it. You know, that's the card they're playing for sure. It is. But keep in mind, too, here's the residual effect. Libya and Syria. What did we have after? Massive refugees. Italy Absolutely. picking people out of the water every day and dead bodies. And we saw what happened in Germany. Do you know Greece quickly finished up their wall? They're going to do the hungry thing. Yeah. You could come to our border, but you're not going past this wall. They're, and we, you know, they're going to, again, they, we did Libya on the urging of our allies and the Arab League. And there was no plan. And the all the Libya blows up and the refugees head for Europe. So Europe's going, we're not doing it this time. Yeah, because a lot of people in Afghanistan right now are looking for what's the avenue? Where can I go? Can I go across land maybe, go to Pakistan, figure out another way to get out of here? Um, that refugee crisis is going to explode. And as I said, uh, the food sources are already very low. So what so what are we going to do then? We're just going to stand by and watch all of that because it's August 31st or because it's become September 1? Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I think next week is going to be even more intriguing week in, because when that, there's going to be reports of Americans still in town, struggling in Kabul. Yeah. Uh, there's a report out here. No one's ever answered. We're going to call, call into each of our shows. Uh, real quick, on reconciliation, the moderates gave me hope. They said we're not going to pass reconciliation unless you pass the bipartisan bill. Nancy, what kind of leverage did Nancy Pelosi use? What's the difference? She's gone anyway in a few months, I believe. Why do they cave? Yeah, I think it's very surprising. And I I heard one of them this morning saying, well, you know, we just advanced this so that we can continue the conversation. Um, But clearly she has a lot of, I mean, look, this is what Nancy Pelosi is excellent at. And that's why the president called her out yesterday. She is very good at twisting arms. And it's pretty clear that she got the moderates to do it on this. And now we'll see. We'll see what happens in the Senate. See, I'd be impressed with her if she convinced Republicans. 
She is good at her own caucus. Well, so that's what she needs to do right now. Right. She has a majority. That's the, that, those are the people she needs to focus but on. But a, a true maestro would be somebody that convinced him that this is everything for them. I went to one of those moderates is Josh Gottheimer. Mm-hmm. He was cut 49. Well, in the end of the day, what was most important is that we worked it out. Uh, and it was a huge win for the country and our vote. We're going to, by September 27th, get a standalone vote on that bipartisan infrastructure package that came out of the Senate with Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and that fixes everything from roads and bridges to rail, transit, broadband, invest in water infrastructure, helps us fight uh, climate change and, and does everything to actually move our help move our country forwards. Why is that a win? He was quoted the other day I saying know. that America can't afford this. Let's get a win for the $1.2 trillion right. bipartisan deal. I mean, that, yeah, that's the battle, separating these two bills and not keeping them in tandem, uh, getting the infrastructure bill through and not allowing it to be connected to the other one. So, well, you know, <sighs> they're all up for election in 2022. That's all I have to say. Martha, we're going to watch you at 3 o'clock. Is that okay? Please do. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Thanks Good so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.